Welcome to our continued series on the book of Psalms. It's my heart's desire that you've been not only fed and encouraged and built up in faith, but you've become stronger in the Lord. Verses, uh, chapters, excuse me, 1 through 18, as we've studied so far, are, are studies on fighting a battle of winning a victory. And today we want to continue that. The title of this message from Psalm chapter 18, verse 27 through 50, the third part in this chapter 18. Today's title message is Morning Has Broken. And we can see this title in two different ways. The idea of the sun breaking through the darkness, the dark night of the soul, and seeing light come in the midst of that darkness. Or you could take it the way actually the uh, actually mean it is the different spelling, mourning as if grieving and sorrow and difficulty and struggle and trials, that 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 mourning has broken. Either way you see this, this message is a message of joy, victory, overcoming, God training us for war, battling the, the enemy and seeing God's hand move in such a mighty and powerful way. I'm going to read a large portion of scripture, so I want to make sure you pay attention. Open up your Bibles if you have one with you, if not on your electronic device. It's important that we see, not only hear the word of the Lord as well. Let me read this and then we'll pray and we'll get into this third part of Psalm 18, Morning Has Broken, starting in verse 20. Let's start, actually start in verse 28. For it is you who light my lamp, the Lord, my God, lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. His shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? Who is the rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend the bow of bronze. You have given me a shield of salvation and your right hand has supported me. Your gentleness has made me great. You gave me a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. Well, this is powerful, isn't it? Uh, they fell under my feet. Why? Verse 39 tells us, For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise up against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. For those who hated me, I destroyed. Oh, they cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them as fine dust before the wind. I cast them out like mire in the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of nations, people whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost their heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be God my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued people under me, who delivered me from my enemies, Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. For this I praise you, O Lord among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring 
forever. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus right now that you would give me power to articulate your word, authority to preach your word, and I ask for the listeners to have ears to hear the gospel. Open up our hearts. Let us hear today, and let us, as a result of hearing this message of mourning being broken, that you will give us the knowledge of how you train our hands for war, the knowledge of how you give us victory. Not only the faith to know that you do it, Lord, but the practical insight into our minds of knowing the victories over powers of darkness, over powers of the enemy, over addictions, over sin, over uh, circumstantial problems in our life, over family problems. You train our hands specifically to fight battles so that we would win the outcome. You don't leave us just uh, uh, abandoned. You are there as a mighty warrior, fierce in battle, giving us victory, uh, stepping on the, on the, the neck of Satan, uh, Lord, and, and uh, yes, there are times where he bites at our heels and wounds us, but Lord, we crush his head, and we thank you today. You're going to give us faith and confidence to crush the works of the enemy in all of our lives, in Jesus' name. And I hope you'll say amen together with me on that morning has broken. We've looked already at Psalm, uh, first few verses there. We, we've, we've talked about the, the victory over death and the devil and the grave in verses 1 through 19. We've talked about the results of righteousness, which David talks about. The reason God gave him victory was because of the imputed righteousness of Christ that was in his life, looking forward to the work that Christ would do him. And now today in verses 28 through 50, we are seeing how God is breaking the power by training us to do this. This chapter contains a a, a, a core crisis. It shows a core crisis that the psalmist found, and that's found in verse 4 and 5. And if you go back to look at that, and that's what we talked about in the first sermon on chapter 18, the victory over death, devil, and the grave. And that's what, 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 what David is being trained here for, is to fight against the fear of death. The New Testament tells us this, that this fear of death causes us to live in anxiety and stress and doubt and tribulation of soul, the emotional being downcast. It's the, it's the fear of things dying, the fear of, of, of things not working, the, the, and then ultimately the, the very fear of death and judgment to come. But David is also saying there's, there's also Belial, Satan himself, that's raging against me. He, he's bringing the powers of darkness against my life. And then there's the grave, Sheol, or hell itself. The, the fear of not being enough, not being worthy, not being righteous, not being holy, of, of sin overwhelming us and finding ourselves in a place of judgment. And David is seeing all these things in his life. And so as we read these verses here that we've already read today, we, we are seeing how God is training him, equipping him, empowering him to overcome these enemies that he's talking about. And these are the same enemies that you and I have in our life. We have that fear of death that causes anxiety, that causes fear, that causes stress, that causes uh, things to even emotionally go wrong in our life. And the fear of Satan himself and the works and the powers of darkness that come against us, that we see that in our life. And we see the, the, the hellish realms coming against us and against our churches and against our family. It's, it's not just the fear of hell, it's the fear of what hell on earth can do. The, the doom and the gloom and the darkness that surrounds us, that the Bible calls, says, encompasses us around about. And that, that is what hell 
is, is, as, as you hear that phrase, hell is spewing out its venom, its, 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 its putrid darkness over the face of the earth. Isaiah 60, we've talked about that in past teachings. Darkness has covered the earth, and behold, it's a gross darkness. Isaiah says, behold this, look at this, because if you don't know who your enemy is, you don't know who you're fighting, you're going to have a hard time defeating them. But God is training, as we'll see today, training our hands for war. So these verses that we've already read today tell us of how God's light actually works to fight off darkness, how God's power comes against the works of the enemy, how heaven descends in the light of the gospel and diminishes the power of darkness and of hell around us. And I want to be real clear with you today. How does God do this? A lot of what I'm talking about today is how, because sometimes we know God gives us victory and we believe God gives us victory. And we have faith for the victory, but we're asking this question, how, do, how, do we, how does it happen? What, what is our role in this? What does, what does he want us to do? What is he going to do? What is he going to work in our life to give us the power and the victory over our enemies? So I believe there are three things that these verses in the text we've read today show us about what we need. These are the equipment for the victory, equipment for the battle, the equipment for the morning being broken and light coming through in our life. These three things are number one, we'll see in verses 30 and 31, they're broken by the knowledge of God. Victory comes by the knowledge of God. Number two, by the equipping of God, by him equipping our hands for war, by giving us strength for the battle. He's equipping us. This is found in verse 29 through 41. And then thirdly, by being exalted by God, the strangest thing we'll talk about maybe in, in any of these Psalms, but he's talking about part of the victory is God exalting us. And that's found in verse 42 through 50. You ready to get started? Let's take a look and break this down. First of all, is the first one, by the knowledge of God. When we are confronted with darkness, when we are confronted by the powers of hell, when Satan himself is raging against us, when everything seems gloom and doom around us, God raises up a glorious light and there is a breakthrough. And that breakthrough, Psalm 18, verse 29 through 31, tells us that uh, verse, verse 29 through 31 tells us that there is a breakthrough power comes when we have a knowledge of God. This is so precious and so powerful. Theology helps create victory. The people that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Well, then the converse might be found true as well. The people that don't know their God have a struggle seeing strength come into their life and them doing the exploits that God has for them to do. I want to encourage you to dig into theology, to look into doctrine, to not be afraid to know the word of God in depth and not just a few verses memorized or not just a daily devotion or not even just reading through the Bible uh, in a one-year plan, but knowing doctrines, knowing theology, Theology simply means the study, theo, uh, God, theo is God, ology, study, studying God, knowing him. The, the Jeremiah says, don't boast in wisdom or strength or might, but let the man who boasts boast in this, that he knows me and he loves me, that I'm a God of loving kindness and mercy. Knowing God will equip you for battle. Knowing God will give you victory over the powers of darkness. And so this, this, this text that we're reading here uh, the, and this first part about the doctrine of God found, 
is found in a question in verse 31. Look at verse 31. For who is God? And he answers himself, says, but for the Lord, and he's a rock. And who's a rock except our God? But the, the question comes to mind, and it's the, at the beginning of this portion of Scripture that shows us how to fight battles, how to win victories, how to overcome all powers of darkness. And the question that comes to the forefront right at the beginning of this question is, who is God? What is God like? What are his attributes? Uh, the, the, do you know the attributes of God? Do you know that he's omnipotent, all-powerful? Do you know that he's omniscient, all-knowing? Do you know that he's um, uh, that he's everywhere at all times? Do you know that he is all uh, uh, everywhere at all times? That he that he's infinite, that he's infallible, that he's uh, perfect in all his ways? Do you know these doctrines of God? Uh, I want to encourage us to take a deeper look at the things of God. The, to long to know the deeper things of God. And this is not a pride issue. Not, it's not to tell your neighbor you know more about God than they do. This is for your heart, and this is for the battle that you're in. So the question is, who is this God? Verse 30, go back to that, because he's asking a question again, or, or he's making a statement here really in response to that question. And it says, I, I like this in the ESV, this God this God, oh man, that's powerful. This is this God, this one, this is the one. No other God, no other name. Know this one. Know what this God is like, that he's the God of love, the God of mercy, the God of power, the God of truth, the God who's eternal, the God who exists in, in, uh, in light forever. This is the God, the one and only. There is no other God. Oh, there are false gods, small g. There are, and small g, false gods create in us a false doctrine. False doctrines are born out of having false gods. False doctrines, false teachings are born out of having false idols, not really seeing who God is, not knowing who God is. False ways of living are born out of a false knowledge of God. If you feel God is not faithful, you're going to live a life of fear. If you feel God is not powerful, you won't pray because you don't believe he has the authority and the power to break through in your life. If you feel God is changeable, not immutable, if you feel he's changeable, you'll be living in trepidation of him being angry with you one day and then being kind the next. Knowledge of the holy is a perfect way to live breakthrough life. You see, a, a false view of God or a what I would call a low view of God brings a low view of doctrine, a low view of theology, and you will end up with a low view of breakthrough, a low view of his attributes. In other words, you know the attribute of the God being all-loving, but if, but if you have a low view of that, you'll be uncertain about his love for you or that he's pure, perfectly pure in all of his ways. Then you're going to feel like maybe he's doing some things that are corrupt or wrong or or even wicked, uh, just not quite fully right for you and your life. It's a way of seeing God that is imperfect. It's a low view of the attributes of God. Sadly, 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 the church of Jesus Christ today in many quarters has a low view of God. 
They, they, they teach very little about the doctrine of God. It has more to do with you and your wants and your desires and your ambitions and your dreams and how God can be a, a, a genie in a magic lantern and you just rub him the right way and he'll pop up, pop up and poof and give you three wishes. That's a false view. That's a low view of God. That's a man-centered gospel rather than a God or Christ-centered gospel. He is high and exalted. And if we preach this the wrong way, man becomes high and exalted. And God God becomes subservient to the, to the whims and wants and passions of, of a fleshly man. But theology shows that fleshly man has brokenness. True theology shows the, 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 the sinful nature and it brings man down to where he belongs in need of a savior, in need of a high view of God, in need of an exalted view of God. And once the church gets that exalted view of God, it learns truly how to worship. It learns True doctrine, true theology brings true doxology. Doxology is our, our song of God, our worship of God. And that true worship, that true sense of faith, that true sense that mourning can be broken, that, that grieving can be gone, and that victories can be won over enemy comes through knowing who God is, this God, this God. And then he begins to describe what this God is like. We find this in verse 30. This God, his way is perfect. This way is perfect. This is one of the attributes of God, the impeccability of God. Peccability means perfections of God. He, he has no imperfections inside of him at all. View God at every angle, in every attribute, love, mercy, grace, judgment, justice, power, truth, wisdom, uh, being everywhere at all times, being eternal. Take a look at every aspect of that diamond, every color that would be turned in the light and seeing every single one of those attributes that are all of God. And you'll find that every single one of them is imp has impeccability, imp imperfection, no imperfections, purity of purities, the purity. And this, this impeccability of God is not like I got a hundred on a test. There was a hundred questions and I answered them all right. I got a perfect thing. It's, it's far beyond that. It's not just living up to the highest points of expectations. It is being the center, the ground of all expectations. It, it is what perfections are viewed in our eyes as is, is, is looking at something, a perfect sunset, a, a, a perfect baby being just birthed. We look at those and call them perfect, but God is, is beyond that. It's not measurable. There's, it's not on a scale of one to 10. It's unscalable. It is, it is the very description of what perfection is. Every other perfection is our attempt to point up to the high view of God. And that's what, that's what King David here is, is saying. If we're going to understand the knowledge of God, everything we know about him has to be lenses seen through this lens of his perfection. God is perfect. There's nothing he's doing. His, his, his judgments are perfect. His, his justice is perfect. His power is perfect. His love, his mercy, all of these things are the perfections of God. And then in verse 30, he says, his word, the second part of this, his word proves true. His word proves true. It's, this is another attribute of God, of the faithfulness of God that God is faithful. He's always been faithful. He is faithful right now. He will always be faithful. He cannot change off of this. His word proves true. In other words, you can look back over history and you'll see that everything he's done proved to be perfectly true for what he wanted to do in your life to accomplish 
in your life. This is something to thank God for that his ways are perfect. And then verse 31, it goes on to say, for, and, and he's answering this question, who is God but the Lord? Who is a, a rock except our God? This word rock talks about foundation or uh, substance or an undergirding. And this attribute of God would probably be called his immutability, his, his unchangeable nature. He doesn't he doesn't go off whims. I feel good today. I woke up on the right side of the bed. He's unchanging in his nature. He will, he will be perfect in every decree that he makes. He will be perfect in how he judges, how those decrees are being obeyed or disobeyed. He will be perfect in what he said being coming true. He is a rock, a perfect rock, a perfect foundation upon which to lay your whole life. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 31 says, For there is a rock, and in the English translation of this, it's a small r in the word rock. It's not capitalized. For their, for their rock, speaking of, of the people who are not of God, for their rock, small r, is not like our rock. In the English translation it's a, of Deuteronomy, it's a capital R. Their small rock is not like our large rock, our foundational rock. Even, and listen to this next part, even as our enemies conceded, our enemies are even saying that, that your rock is more true than ours. Uh, I was listening to my son, he does a podcast about addictions, and he was speaking to a non-Christian about <clears throat> addictions and how we fight them. My son has been free from his addictions for many, many years now. And the young man, who's a good friend of his, has been struggling on and off with addictions. And, and this atheist friend of his actually told him, he said, the, the, the difference between Christian recovery and non-Christian recovery is the, the sense of the armor that you have, the protection that you have. You have something beyond what we have in the world without God being the rock, this foundation, this source. Even people that don't believe in God can, can see that there is something that we have that gives us a sure foundation, that gives us an ability to stand when others are falling. Just in these first few verses, that the knowledge of God, that the knowledge of his attributes, that the study of God is so crucial and important. I want to encourage you just as a sidebar here, there's a book by A.W. Tozer that talks about the attributes of God. It's called A Knowledge of the Holy. And, and if you'd like to dig further into this, I want to encourage you to read that book called The Knowledge of God by A.W. Tozer. And you'll read about all these different attributes of God, and it will give you power in your life over the things that are attacking you. The second one is being equipped by God. The first one was, was seeing who God is, but the second one is seeing what God does. What is he doing in your life? He is equipping you. He is equipping you for battle. He's equipping you to fight. He's equipping you to win victory. He's equipping you to overcome. He's equipping you to have a breakthrough. He's equipping you over these three enemies that this chapter is talking about. He's equipping you to fight death and the fear of death, the fear of torment, the victory, the, to fight over the, the powers of the devil when he accuses you, when he lies, when he, when he tries to addict, when he tries to uh, cause turmoil in your family, and, and the fear of the the, 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 the results of what hell is trying to do, what hell is unleashing on the earth today. that He's giving you victory over the hellish realms that have been unleashed on the earth. And so he's equipping you to fight this battle. Let's break this down a little bit. Verse 29 says, for by you. And it's important to look at that first part there because all of these things we're about to list, I believe there's nine of them, 
nine ways that God equips us to win the battle, uh, but every single one of them says, for by you, I can run through a troop, and by my God, I can leap over a wall. Do you see? He's giving credit, due, honor, glory, understanding this power, this source to win the victory comes from God and God alone. It's not within me. It's not my gumption. It's not my zeal. It's not my willpower. It's not my wisdom. It's not my cleverness. It's nothing but the hand of the Lord giving you and I power to overcome these three powerful enemies that we find in our life. And so it's for by you. It's by my God I can do these things, all these things. But what are these things? Number one, I can run against a troop. This troop in Hebrew means a hostile band of marauders. If you remember Gideon, when they were talking about the children of Israel hiding in pits because they didn't want the band of marauders that were maybe riding by on horseback uh, to see them and to steal from them and to abuse them. And so they would hide in caves and in pits and they were, they were facing famine because these, this band of marauders of a stronger army would come out and they would say, hey, there's some resources for us to take. There's things for us to kill, steal, and destroy. And because of that, these, this band of marauders would go and they would diminish the power of, of the people of God and strengthen the power and the hands of the enemy. So David says, as he saw these bands of marauders in his own life, he's saying, God has equipped me, he's trained me to run against a troop. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 30. You see, David was not just talking here. Uh, some, random, some random way of just thinking maybe this could be something good in your life. David actually faced the reality of a band of marauders, a stronger band, an, an enemy army. Turn there and look there with me. Now, verse 1. Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites... So David had been hiding from Saul. He had several hundred men with him in a cave, and uh, these were his mighty men. But it was a much smaller army than Israel, and a much smaller army by far than the Amalekites. And the Amalekites sent out this raiding band, uh, this troop against David's men when he was fighting another battle. And they, and they came to the town where his family, his children, his wife, his uh, and the wives of his men had been uh, holed up there. And the, these men came and they overcame Ziglag and burned it with fire. And they had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but they carried them off and went their way. You see here this idea of captivity, uh, the, the, the power of the devil, the power of hell, the power of the fear of death. We, we see these enemies and we see the enemy come this troop and it comes and it takes things captive in our life. Maybe you're captive to thoughts of inadequacy, fear, doubt, discouragement, a captivity to the fear of giving up. Maybe your family, your marriage is in captivity to destructive patterns and ways of living. Maybe you're captive right now to a, a, an emotional sense of being backslid. And I received an email yesterday and just somebody said, pray for me because I can't seem to get over this backslidden state. I, I, as much as I know that it's wrong, he's basically saying he's captive to it. Many young men in this generation with pornography being so so over, so easily accessed that they're, and, and not just men, but women as well, we're seeing this captivity to, to lust and pornography, captivity to selfishness, selfish ambition, desire, passions of the flesh. 
And David saw this captivity that the enemy had come against him. And verse 7 says, And David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Amalek, Bring me the ephod. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. Verse 8, And David inquired the Lord, Shall I pursue after this man? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and surely rescue. And the rest of the story talks about the victory that God gave them. Here's an important question for you. Shall I run against a troop? Shall I run against this thing? Shall I come against this thing? Shall I put on the armor of God? Shall I take up that sword of faith? And shall I fight against these enemies? Am I going to continue the fight or am I going to give up? Am I going to just be overwhelmed and say it's too strong an enemy for me? As David actually says in this same chapter, the enemies were too strong for me. But now he's inquiring of the Lord, shall I pursue this band? Verse 15 of chapter 30, I think is profound. And David said to him, will you take me down to this band? He had met one of the soldiers of the Amalekites, and he grabs this man. He says, take me to where these men are. I love that phrase of David. Take me to the battle. Let me, let me run against this troop. Let, let me not be fearful. Let me not be holding back. We in the church of Jesus Christ today need to learn to fight. We in the church of Jesus Christ today learn to need to be against certain things. We need to say, take me to the battle. Take me to the front lines of the battle. Take me to the fiercest places in our society, in our churches, and in our own families, in our own lives, in our schools, in our government, in our media. Take me to the forefront of the battle and let me run against these things. We are so afraid in the church today of being against things. You've heard it said, I, I don't want to curse the darkness. I want to shine a light. No, I want to shine the light brightly, but I also want to curse the darkness because the darkness is worthy to be cursed. There are certain things that are accursed and we as pastors and leaders need to be bold enough to say it. This thing is accursed. This thing needs to stop. This thing needs to be fought. That We need to stand up against these things. Ephesians, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. It echoes the sentiments of David's own heart there in, in Samuel chapter 30. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 is a very uh, well-known passage of Scripture, preached often, written about many, many times. And we know this passage of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18, is known as putting on the whole armor of God. And when we picture this, we picture putting on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and the shield and the sword and all the, the being girded with the loins of uh, uh, putting on the shoes of righteousness. We understand all of these things, but oftentimes we work more at understanding what the armor is and understanding the aspects of the armor and then putting on the armor, but we never get into the battle. Uh, how clueless can we be to say that this armor is to look good that this armor is to feel protected, that this armor is only defensive for us to stand back. And if anything comes against us, we have power in ourselves. We don't have to fear ourselves. But no, fear is not the, the issue here. It's, it's will you overcome that fear to get into the battle, to fight against things, whether it be things in your own life, fight against addictions, fight against sinful patterns, fight against doubt, fight against fear, and get into the battle. But not only just fight against personal things, but fight against things in the church, things of lukewarmness, backsliddenness, false teachings. And I'm not talking about fighting with an evil attitude or spirit or uh, coming against everybody, but, but contending for the faith, speaking the truth, but doing it in love, but, but nonetheless speaking the truth, saying, this is wrong. 
to, to, to live this way, to have pastors who are not walking in integrity. This is wrong. We're going to be against that for pastors who are, who are full of pride and arrogance and building their own kingdoms. We're against that even in the church. But even in culture today, we need to stand up and do more than just put on our armor and look like we're being protected against the gross darkness that's prevailing in culture. But no, it's saying here, verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's not just having good armor, but it's using that armor to be strong and to, to get into the battle. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Now look at this. The next few words are very important. Stand against the schemes of the devil. Do not wrestle, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against rulers, and we wrestle against authorities, and we wrestle against cosmic powers of this present darkness, and we are wrestling against spiritual forces in heavenly places. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven times talking about we're against something. That is repeated more than anything else in this chapter, more than anything about the armor, more than anything about faith, more than anything about prayer, all those things, the armor, prayer, faith, salvation, all of these things are to help us to be strong in the Lord. And, and to put on this armor has the, uh, put on the armor of God that, there's a reason for putting on the armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, that you may be able to fight against them, that you're wrestling against these things. And I, and I want to tell you, I do, I wrestle against things in my own life that are impure or ungodly. And I wrestle against the things in the church, the compromise, the lukewarmness, the entertainment-centeredness of that, the, 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 the tr triviality, the lightness of the preaching of the gospel. I wrestle and I contend. We do pastor's conferences all across the world to contend for the faith that pastors would preach an uncompromised gospel of Jesus Christ fearlessly, with backbone, with gumption, with authority from on high to believe that we are standing against things, but not only in our church, but also in our culture. I am wholeheartedly, without reservation, to say to you, I am against homosexual marriage. I am against abortion. I am against families breaking up. I, I am against governments that are too intrusive, that are into the things of the family and into the things of the family of God. I, there's things that I'm telling you clearly that I am against. I am against uh, the, the, the teaching of first and third graders about transgenderism, about the confusion of gender, about this gender fluidity. I'm, I'm, I'm against those things. I'm not against the people. My heart is a heart of love. But if I love people, I will stand against the things that we believe scripturally harm those people, harm our schools, harm our children, harm our schools, uh, excuse me, harm our, our culture. And so basically, if you truly love something or somebody, you will also hate the things that harm them. David hated the fact that that. Somebody had taken his family captive. And so out of love, he stands against the enemies to try to set those captives free. And we live in a culture that is captive to such gross darkness and immorality today that we need the church to once again rise up and say, God, teach me to fight. God, help me to run against a troop. Secondly, he says here, I can leap over a wall. This is, this is so profound because it's showing the battle in two different places. I can run against a troop. They're marauding uh, uh, enemies in the fields. But he also says, I can leap over a wall. Now he's speaking about cities, fortified cities. One is 
defending ourselves when they come against us, these marauding bands, but the other now is attacking fortified cities. It's looking at strongholds in our life, in our church, in our culture, looking at these strongholds and saying, I'm not just going to be defensive and when they come at me, I'll fight back against them, but I'm actually going to be on the forefront of an attack. And remember now, this is a spiritual attack. This is not a verbal attack against people. This is not uh, by any means <clears throat> uh, has anything to do with military at, at all. This has to do with the spiritual warfare that we are in today. And <clears throat> whether it be, the, the battle rages, whether it be in the, in the fields, in the open, or in the walled cities. The battle rages here and there. There's no place that the battle doesn't rage. But the good news is that no matter where the battle rages, in your heart, in your mind, in your family, with your children, in your work, among your friends, in your health, in your emotional life, no matter whether it be the fields or the cities, no matter where the battle rages, God gives you the victory. He trains your hands for war. You can run against the troop and you can leap over a wall. We've been looking at... at the Old Testament, and, and there's one other place, David, as, as I said earlier, David is not just talking randomly about certain ideas, but in 2 Samuel chapter 5, he, he actually does something that is literally what he's talking about here, leaping over a wall. 2 Samuel chapter 5, turn there in your scriptures, I want you to see this, and verse 6, and the king and his men went out to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. Now, when you think of Jerusalem, you think of the city of David, uh, the, where the, the Hebrew children, the people of God, uh, built their home and built their walled cities. But it was actually already a walled city owned by the Jebusites at this time. And the inhabitants of the land said to David, you will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off. What, what they're saying is our city is so fortified, we can put a few blind men and people that can't walk in wheelchairs, we can put a few of them at the gates and they'll turn you back. Our city itself is so fortified? Is there things in your life that feels that fortified? Does Satan have certain strongholds in your life that are so protected, it seems impenetrable, that you cannot raise up a, a ladder to get over that wall, to get in to fight in the midst of that, the center of that battle? That is what the, the king of the Jebusites is saying to David. You can't get in here. The, the lame and the blind will ward you off, thinking David cannot come in here at the end of verse 6. Verse 7, nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. And David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up to the water shaft and attack the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. Therefore it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into this house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around the millow inward, and David became greater and greater. I want to say to you today, God's stronghold, God's power to break through strongholds is a power not only to get you into the land you possess, but make you greater and greater and stronger and stronger, more secure in your victory, more stalwart over the powers of darkness. It's, it's like this epic battle scene you, you might have seen or read about in history books where there's a, a fortified wall city that seems no way anybody could be penetrated. And, and they come with catapults and they put ladders up against it and they have a, a, a battering ram at the gate. And finally, they break through and they're leaping over the wall. And once, they, once you see this mass uh, amount of soldiers coming over the wall, you know the battle's won. It's just now a cleanup of, uh, of the victory. It's, it's just now the end of the, uh, the culmination of the battle. And that's what David is saying here through God's power and in Psalm 18, that he's, 
He's trained your hands for war. He's, he's equipped you for battle by running against a troop and leaping over the wall. How does he do this? Verse 39, it says, For you equip me with strength for the battle. This is an echo of verse 32. For God equipped me with strength. God equipped you to do that. He equipped you. And that's important, that, that you can do these things. This is where faith comes in that he's trained you, he's equipped you, he's, he's empowered you to do these things. So you, uh, oftentimes we don't even try to do things. We don't try to pray for the sick. We don't try to witness to the lost. We don't try to preach our first sermon. We don't try to, to, to memorize scripture. We just don't, we think the battle's lost before we even begin the battle. But we want to understand, verse 32, God who equipped me with strength. He equipped me with strength. That's the third thing. We are equipped with strength. The fourth thing is, is this. It says in the same verse, and he made my way blameless. Now, this sounds like a, a, a diversionary point. He's talking about warfare and battle. Now, all of a sudden, he's talking about purity of heart. He makes my way. My steps are blameless. I, I don't err. I don't fall into traps of sin. But if you look at the original Hebrew here, this is still a warfare motif. He's still talking about a battle. And what he's saying here, he's making my journey. He's making my, my, it's a military term saying, but he's given me the right course of action in battle. He's shown me what to do. David did this again in, in, in his, his history. We see him fighting a battle and he, he says, should I go down against this enemy? And God says, when you see the wrestling of the leaves, then you know it's time to go down. It's, that's what this means here. The way, his way is blameless. He has a way of going to, into battle. He has a way of listening to the Lord. He has a way of walking in faith. He has a way of being encouraged in battles. He's made strong. He knows how to run against a troop. He knows how to run, uh, jump, leap over a wall. This, this is the way that God's trained him in. And it's a, it's, it's the preparation. It's the battle plan. It's that, it's the path to victory that God wants to give you. This requires study of God's word and God's heart. It requires prayer. God, show me your truth. Tell me, teach me how to fight this battle. I can't do it on my own strength. So you show me the way in this. You show me the path to victory and overcoming. And, and then it means standing up in faith and taking action, doing what God has called us to do. That's, that's the blameless way. The word blameless there in the Hebrew is the exact same word as in, found back in verse 30, if you still have your scriptures open. This God, his way is perfect. The same word here in Hebrew is, and he made my way perfect, a perfect battle plan to get a perfect victory in your life, perfection over every enemy in your life. God is moving us from line upon line, precept upon precept, teaching us through the process of sanctification how to become more and more holy, how to become more and more victorious over our enemies. Number, that's number four. Number five, it says, he, look at verse 33. And he made my feet like the feet of a deer. Some translations say like hind feet, back feet. What it means is that when you, when you see an anim, animal uh, go down low and then jump, leap over a fence, just to, to, just to be able to scale heights. And then he says, and he set me secure on the heights. This word secure means to take a stand. So in other words, you're, you take ground. The battle plan is perfect. You take, you leap over a wall, you stand on that wall, and here it says, now you take a stand. 
You don't give up ground that you've taken. You, you, you won a victory, you're going to stay in victory. You were backslidden, now you come back to the Lord, you're going to stay there. You overcame sin, but then a sin has crouched at the door again and has begun to, to tamper with your heart and life and your lusts are being overcome again. No, you, you stay on that wall now. You don't keep falling back into the old patterns. You take a stand. You've taken ground, now take a stand is, is what this is, is, is saying, that, that you're on the high ground now and you say to yourself, I shall not be moved. And, and how? Oh, for by you I cannot be, I will not be moved. For by my God I can take a stand. It's not my own self-will. It's God giving me the power to take a stand. Number six, he's trained my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. That's verse 34. Two ways this can be translated, that, that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You can imagine the strength of bronze in a, in a bow. Could you imagine how powerful it would be if you could only pull it back? But the but but it's so strong, it's so stout that it's only the most strong could pull it back. And David is saying here, you you give me that kind of strength. I can take a bow that can be very destructive against things that are coming against me and my family, and and let it rip, so to speak. But but others say they they believe that a, a better translation of this is that that you train my hands for war so that my arms can break a bow of bronze. One, one is offensive. I can bend this bow and attack enemies coming against me. But the other is, once I've taken the high ground, once I've leaped over the wall, once I've stepped up to new heights, I find my enemy's weapons, these weapons that are trying to be formed against me. And not only can I put a shield up when these arrows are coming at me, but I can actually get a, on top of that wall, take that bow of bronze that's being fought against me, and I can break that. You've given me such strength that I break the enemy's weapons that are formed against me so that they no longer have the power. If you don't break the weapon, it can continue. Even though you have the shield, it can continue to shoot those fiery darts at you. But what if you break that thing? What if you destroy it? What if you destroy the weapons factory, if you will? If you remember in, in World War II, the, the, the turning of the, of the war was when the, uh, the, the Allied planes could come over of the factories of the enemy the, the, in Germany that were, were building the airplanes and the factories that were building the bombs and that were building the guns. And once they destroyed those factories, the war was practically won. And, and this, is, this, is, this is what you can do. You can, you can break the bow of bronze could you imagine living your life with the point where you're saying, my victory over addiction, over drugs and alcohol, is, is not something that I'm every day waking up and I'm in this crucial gritting of my teeth and resisting with, with, with willpower and my own strength, uh, but I keep going back and forth. Could you imagine breaking that and just saying, you know what? Yeah, there's some hints of that and there's some memories of that. And there are times where it may, 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 may have a... A lull, a lure to it, but but you know what? The power of that thing is broken. Could you imagine having a marriage that is constantly bickering and gossiping and angry and and full of strife, and you feel like it's about to end, and and all of a sudden the power of that is broken, and and in its place is love and communion and community and and joy and life breaking the power of darkness. That's what God says He wants to do. He's training our hands for war to do that very thing. Number seven is, is shield and a right hand of support. And that right hand of support makes me great. So not only do you have a shield, but it's almost like you get this idea of you have a shield and the enemy's coming and, and just coming against you. But then all of a sudden God's right hand comes in and, and you see it almost like in the corner of your eye coming across in front of you and just grabbing hold of your enemies and defeating for you. And then coming and taking you and said, uh, I, I, look what I've done for you. 
I've caused you to be, defeat the marauding band, uh, uh, the troop against you, and I've caused you to leap over the walls, and I've caused you to stand there, and I've caused you to break the bow, and now the enemies, the, the last residue of them are still coming against you. I reach across them, and I just grab, and I, I, I end, I, I defeat the last of your enemies, that, that I make you great. And the next thing says, and I put you in a wide place. This means my feet aren't slipping. There's not a faltering. I'm sure. I'm steady. There's progress. You're, you're making me great. I'm finding new victories. I'm, I'm winning new battles. I'm seeing new things come into my life. And then in verse 37, the, the last, the number nine of these, these transformative ways of God helps us overcome the powers against us is that uh, I pursued and I overtook my enemies. I did not turn back until they were consumed. It's not a partial victory. It's a full victory. There's no residue. There's only a faint memory now of a time in history where that used to attack you. And now not only are you giving, not giving into the attack, but the attack isn't even there anymore. You are finally free from that. Oh yes, there's new battles coming your way and there's new enemies to be fought, but you look at some of those old battles and say, not only have I defeated them, but they're gone. They, they, I overtook them. I pursued them. I overtook them and I didn't turn my back until they were consumed. The addictions are gone. The emotional problems are gone. The marriage problems are gone. The children problems are gone. The, the career problems are gone. God has set me in a solid place. And the last thing I want to say to you is the third part of this is we are to be exalted by God. We, we, this, is, this is important to us that we are, that, that, that there's certain things that God wants to do in our life, not only by the knowledge of God, having theology, and not only being equipped by God, but God bringing us to a place Wow, where we understand he wants to exalt us. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of the Lord, and in due time, he will exalt you. Our job is to be humble, but part of his job, if you could call it a job, part of his work among us is to exalt us. He wants to do us. It's not we exalt ourselves, uh, and then God sees how exalted we are, or others recognize our exalted position in life. It's It's we humble ourselves. That's our task. God's is to exalt us in due time and in due season. When he causes our, when he's training, what is that due season? He's training us. Why, why don't I have victory today? He's training us. Why is my marriage still in trouble? He's training us. Why am I still pulled by the lures and lust of the flesh? He's training us. Why do I still get discouraged? He's training us. Don't give up. Learn, get trained to have your hands fight the battle that you're leaping over a wall, that you're running against a troop, be trained because God is training you. Ultimately, listen to this, he's training you not just to defeat your enemies, but he's training you to be in an exalted position of power and authority, of love and grace and truth, of life and abundance, of bringing others into the glories of God, of bringing others out of the same problems, of rescuing others, just David did as his family at Ziglag. He's, he rescued the captives. And so he putting, he's putting you into an exalted place. We see this a lot of Teen Challenge, the, the work that my father started among those who were addicted. We see them, first of all, being in a, a place of being defeated, and then they, they start being trained, and all of a sudden they come into victory, and before long now they're helping others, and there are, there are powerful directors of Teen Challenge programs all across the world who were once addicted themselves, and who are now not only free, but they're freeing others. Free people, free people. And that, that is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to deliver us 
but also to cause us to become deliverers, to be in a, an exalted place. Now, now, what is this exalted? It's exalted over these enemies that David described in verse 4 and 5. Exalted over the fear of death. The fear of death is a diminishment. Now you're rising above that. That's what exalted means. You rise above that fear. You rise above Satan's attack. He's still trying to attack you, but you rise above them. He can't touch you in the way that he would desire to touch you, to bring you down. And then the, the, the hellish realms of the enemy that are war against us, that are against our church, against our family, against our culture, against our nation. These, these hellish realms are also brought down and you are exalted over them. So you have certain forms of authority that many of us don't even know that we have. <clears throat> and, and some of these verses mention it, and I'm, I'll wrap things up here in just a minute. Verse 43 says, you delivered me from the strife of people. This is one of the realms of exaltation. You got me out of the strife, out of the bitterness, out of the gossip, out of the argument, out of the contention. You caused me to rise above it because I'm not just going to get in that battle and fight in a, in a fleshly carnal way. The weapons of warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty for tearing down strongholds. To tear that stronghold down, you have to be exalted above it. You can't be in the fray of of anger and fear and gossip and division. You rise above it to a place where you're delivered from the strife of the people. Now, now that's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is David himself, when, when Saul's kingdom had, had been destroyed by the enemies and David was now uh, rising to, to ascent to the throne. Uh, but the residue in the land some of Saul's family, some of Saul's soldiers were still in the land and there was strife. Uh, there was people that were fighting against uh, King David and, and his authority to take over full authority of the kingdom. And 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 says, And the house of Saul, speaking of those who had aligned themselves with Saul, and now that David was on the throne, they, they were striving against him. And it says, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker, and the house of David grew stronger and stronger. Praise God, your house is growing stronger. Your heart is growing stronger. Your strength is growing stronger. Your faith is growing stronger. Your children are growing stronger. And the house of, of the enemy, the house of strife, the house of pain, the house of sorrows, the house of struggle, those, that house is getting smaller and smaller as you're seeing God raise you up and put you in a place of authority and of, of, of helping others, of serving others. Verse 44 says, as soon as they heard me, they obeyed me. This is not haughtiness, arrogance, or pride. This is David saying, he has made me strong. He's made my voice a voice to be contended with. He made my voice one of authority. He gave me a voice of weightiness. He gave me a voice of gravitas. When I say things, people may disagree with me and strive against me, but they know there's something coming from heaven in my voice. There's something of the authority of God. There's something that is backed by the authority and the power of Almighty. It's not just the words of one contending against the words of another, just doing battle, confronting with one another. It's a voice from on high. It's an exalted voice. Again, not a voice of haughtiness, I'm exalted over you. It's a voice that God in his own grace and mercy exalts your voice to be able to speak into situations that has the power of breakthrough, the power to stop the works of the enemy, and the power to raise up the works of Jesus Christ himself. He has made me strong in my voice. And this can be an evangelistic anointing where you're speaking to a waiter or waitress in the restaurant or somebody at the checkout counter and you, you just have a word from the Lord for them and there's a breakthrough in that moment. That's this, uh, this, as soon as they heard me, they obeyed. 
the, the word of the Lord coming through me, or it could be, and this is what I contend for in my own ministry, for my own preaching, and when I have an opportunity to encourage other preachers, here's what I pray for them, that they would, that, that they would have this kind of godly authority, that it would be such fire in their words, such fire shut up in their bones, that as soon as they speak, people tremble, people fall on their knees before the Lord, conviction, Holy Ghost conviction, fear of the Lord, repentance, holiness, power of the Holy Spirit breaking through when they have that preaching of the word. This is found in 2 Timothy, and this will be the last verse, uh, the last passage of scripture that we'll look at, but 2 Timothy is an important passage here when we're talking about this. Chapter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, we'll start reading at verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof. You see here, this is, this is as soon as they hear these things, they know that this is profitable. Uh, I want teachers and preachers of the gospel. I want mothers and fathers and their families. Uh, I want those teaching Sunday school to be those who believe that there's a breathing out of God. That, that as soon as the people, whether it be children or, or whole you know, universities or cities, as soon as they hear the breathed out word of God, they see the prophet is for teaching, it's for reproof, it's for correction, it's for training in righteousness, that the man of God may become competent, equipped. Ah, I like that. It's the same word that David's used twice here now in, in Psalm 18, equipped. Equipped for battle, equipped for victory, equipped for overcoming the enemy, equipped for overcoming the powers of darkness, equipped for every good work. And those are good works, isn't it, what we're talking about today. And then Paul goes on teaching Timothy about this battle that we're in. I charge, this is another powerful word, I charge you to leap over a wall. I charge you to run against the truth. I charge you in the presence of God and and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearance and his kingdom. Here's what he's charging him to do. Preach the word. Here's here's the way to leap over the wall through preaching of the word. Here's the way to run against the troop by preaching the word of God. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all complete patience and teaching. Uh, Time's coming. We're not going to want to listen to that, but time is also here right now where God wants to give an authority that as soon as our words are heard, there will be such power that there will be a reproof or rebuke and exhortation. People's hearts are cheered. People's sins are, 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 are confessed and repented of. And there's a turning to the things of the Lord. Our nation of America right now needs a turning to the Lord. It needs such powerful preaching, firebrand preaching from the word of God so that people hear these reproofs and are turned in their heart. The confusion in our culture today is, is transformed into the clarity of the gospel. And there is an exhortation now. Come into faith, come into life, come into victory, come into a sure foundation, the rock who is Christ Jesus himself. And lastly, verse 49 and 50. Verse 49 says says it so preciously. Uh, Let me read this to you one last time. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. This is why I'm going to praise you, Lord, because of all these things you've trained me to do. And because you trained me to do these things, it's caused me to stand in a, in a place of righteousness, not my own righteousness, not self-righteousness, but your imputed righteousness. And because of that, you've given me victory over the enemy. And that, because of that, I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing of your great salvation, the salvation you bring to your king, uh, to, to, and it shows to your anointed. Many times in the Psalms where it mentions the word anointed, many scholars say that he's forecasting what would 
the Father do for the Son, that, that he's speaking of the Son, the steadfast love he's going to show, great salvation through his Son. So ultimately, this psalm is talking about Jesus having the one who trains us, Jesus having the one who has the authority to break through, Jesus the one who lights our lamps, Jesus the one who gives us salvation. And then he says, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, the Father showing his love to, to Jesus. To David, yes, yeah, certainly, but to his offspring. And in the New Testament, the offspring of David speaks often of Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus was the one who is the forerunner of all these things. You could almost put this psalm in the mouth of Jesus, him, him saying, Father, you have equipped me to run against these troops. You have equipped me to leap over these walls. You have equipped me to pursue the enemies of sin and hell and the devil himself and cause me to triumph over them. The ultimate triumph is not me over the devil. The ultimate triumph is Jesus over the devil. And then I come in as a, a, a younger brother, so to speak, of Christ and receive the blessings that he has won through his victory. The victory belongs to the Lord, and I reap the benefits, and you reap the benefits today. Today, you can find your morning turned into light. The you know, breakthrough, a breakthrough. You might be in a place of mourning, and right now, I just want to pray for you that no matter what condition you find yourself in, wait upon the Lord, trust in the Lord, seek the Lord, call on his name, and you'll see a, a breakthrough power, an anointing power come into your life. He'll train you and equip you to fight along with the, 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 the great warrior, Jesus Christ. The great battler himself, Jesus Christ, will be that right hand that helps us win victory in every area of our life. So I pray right now over your marriage. I pray right now over your children. I pray right now over your health. I pray right now over your job. I pray right now over your emotional life, over your mental life, over your relational life with other people around you. I pray for your church that it would grow, multiply, not only in numerically, Lord, but, but even more importantly, I pray for your Christian communities that they would be more salt and light wherever they go and they'd be pure and holy and true and preach the word faithfully. And I pray for our nation, God, that as we stand against things, we would never be viewed as people standing against them out of arrogance or or selfishness or or hatred or bigotry, that we, but that we'd see it as being an act of love, that we want to draw people out of darkness and out of confusion and out of brokenness and, and out of ungodliness that causes them to be separated from the God who loves them so much. It's our heart to draw them back. So give us the power, Lord, when we say we're against things. We're not against the people who are caught up in the snare of those things, but we are against the one who causes that snare. Woe to them that cause that snare. And I thank you, Jesus, that you're breaking that and you're training us and teaching us. And as we're patiently enduring, we're going to see many of these things just broken and crushed under our feet and being exalted to a new place. And I pray in closing right now, Lord, exalt us to a new place of faith, of confidence, of joy, of life, of victory in every area and realm of our life, from our families to our nation, every area of our life, from our emotions to our relationships, every area of our life, Lord, that you would come and this would be the due time that you would bring exaltation to our life and that we would stand in a broad place, secure, unshakable, unmovable, a firm foundation, the rock that is Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, I pray these things and I give thanks. Amen. Amen. Thank God for this. We're continuing our series. Our next sermon will be from Times Square Church. I'll be at Times Square Church preaching from Psalm chapter 19. I want you to join us in our next episode.